sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Is there hope for polarized times? I certainly hope there is. That is part of the title of an article we're going to talk to the author of. It's called Martin Buber's Hope in Polarized Times. Russell Johnson, our guest today, is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Chicago Divinity School. Mr. Johnson, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. This is such an important topic. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. Our listeners don't necessarily know who Martin Buber is. Let's start with that. Introduce him. Yeah, Martin Buber is a Jewish philosopher and theologian uh, who was mostly active in the 20th century. His most famous book is called I and Thou, uh, in which he argued that human beings are who they are through dialogue with one another and ultimately with God. And... uh I guess during a time of what? During like the McCarthy era, he was writing about the polarization then? Yeah, the essay that I find particularly interesting and I wrote this article about came out in 1952 and it was a speech he gave here in America at Carnegie Hall uh, called Hope for This Hour. And hope was just as important and rare then as it is now. Um, but the, the polarization he was talking about had specifically to do with uh, controversies between the East and the West, between uh, the Soviet and the, uh, the American capitalist uh, worlds. Well, and certainly the, the sorts of risks were quite substantial on kind of a global scale in that conflict. But... I mean, we're watching our country just being torn apart by the divisions that we're going through. And, of course, the reason to do this show is because uh, I stumbled on your article and felt that Uber's insights are so important for us to learn about and try to practice today, don't you think? I definitely think so, yeah. His diagnosis of how mistrust eats away at our ability to resolve our problems and settle our differences uh, is as pertinent now as it was in, in the early 50s. Well, so let's jump in. I think, you know, you highlight three, I think, three main kind of approaches or ways of looking at this in the article. What's the first one? So the first one is that we charitably interpret ourselves and our own views and our own side in a polarized system. Uh, but we often settle for descriptions of our opponents that are overly simple and crude. Um, as Buber puts it, you know, I have ideas, my opponent only has ideologies. And so this mistrust spirals because we take a good interpretation of ourselves and so quickly jump to reach negative conclusions about our opponents. And then they hear what we have to say about them, whoever the we or the them is in this situation, and think that, oh, well, they don't really understand us, so there's no point talking with them. And both sides are having that exact same experience with regard to one another. And so uh, each side, just through the cognitive bias of charitably understanding themselves more than the other uh, creates the very same, uh, the, the, the difficulty to cooperate uh, that just kind of snowballs from there. 
You know, it strikes me, this whole us and them thing. I mean, there's a lot of tribalism in the polarization today. And yet, if you were to meet someone of the other tribe and you didn't know they were of the other tribe and, you know, you sat down and had, a say, a meal together, engaged in activity together that didn't involve the tribal differences, you might mistake them for a member of your own tribe. That's absolutely right, Alan. Yeah, and that that actually brings us to Buber's second point, which he calls individuation, uh, which is that people, even if they are a member of a political tribe as we identify them, they all have very different beliefs, um, and they may not fit into the political categories that we put people into. And so treating them as individuals and constantly reminding yourself that even if they are currently representing a particular viewpoint in a debate, uh, that they have, they don't necessarily ascribe to everything that members of their tribe or their group adhere to. Uh, you can then look for commonalities, uh, that, uh, and, and areas of similar interest and similar concerns that, that might help resolve some of those differences more charitably than if you just think of it as us versus them. Which is to say that, uh, if you're liberal, uh, just dismissing, you know, people who are conservatives as, you know, stupid or uneducated or hopeless, whatever, you may actually find if you engage somebody that you have more in common that you realize. And if you're conservative, dismissing someone as a libtard and, uh, you know, again, the same holds true. I think that's true. And even if you still disagree with them very strongly, you are more able to recognize that the positions they hold aren't just because they've been, you know, spoon-fed lies from the media, but because they're trying to do the best they can with the resources they have and the ideas they have, and people are motivated by different concerns. And so uh, by recognizing them as an individual rather than just a part of a them, you come to see that they're uh, their political beliefs are motivated by something that you, the same sort of concerns that you can share, even if you don't share the conclusions they reach from those concerns. That's one of the things Buber talks about, about how every person is a mixture of good and evil. And if we see ourselves only as good and the opponents only as evil, then not only do we misunderstand them, but we misunderstand ourselves. Uh, and he says that's a kind of existential problem where we no longer see ourselves rightly. Um, it's not just a problem of cooperation. It's a problem of self-alienation for Buber, uh, which is I, I find really compelling. You know, I find myself stuck on your comment a moment ago about, you know, perceiving the other person as spoon-fed on media lies, because that's a huge issue today. And I have to confess, I have succumbed to that sort of stereotyping a bit myself. I won't say on which side of the, uh, you know, the equation that falls. But I think that is a real big problem for us is, is, you know, if you're, you know, a Democrat or more progressive, you dismiss people, well, that's, you know, they're just drinking the Fox News Kool-Aid. And, uh, uh, you know, they're in the Fox bubble. Or if you're a conservative, you think, oh, somebody's just in this liberal bubble. They're just, you know, getting it from MSNBC. And, you know, uh, I mean, I have good friends of mine who just tear into the New York Times. Uh, and I grew up in New York, so I've always been partial to the New York Times, you know. <laughs> uh, so I, that, that's a tough one, I think, for Americans to get over is, is that sense of judging 
people as just a product of their propaganda. Yeah, I think it helps for me to remember that those media outlets are trying to sell their papers, their shows, etc., because by playing into fears and needs and ideas that are already prevalent. Um, so the people aren't consumers of propaganda, but the propaganda sells and the, the non-propagandistic but nonetheless biased media is able to succeed because it says to people what they already think is true and it meets the it matches with the perceptions of the country and the world that they already have. So you can't just blame the media, even when it's uh, more propagandistic. Sure. Well, and, you know, you mentioned the term fear, and I've been tempted just to do, I may have done a complete monologue all about fear, because I think it's one of the, the largest enemies in America today, is the extent to which both sides are being sold fear and fear is a political motivator. And I think that is somewhat related to the issue of mistrust, which I think is Buber's kind of third point that he addresses. Right, yeah. He talks about um, the French Revolution motto of uh, liberty, equality, and fraternity, uh, and says very interestingly that uh, fraternity is the one that holds together liberty and equality, writing that only if, this is him speaking now, only if men feel themselves to be brothers can they partake of a genuine freedom from one another and a genuine equality with one another. How I interpret that is that if you see people just as opponents, um, if you're just afraid of the your fellow citizens, uh, that then their mere existence as people with different convictions threatens your freedom. Or if you're so afraid of their problem, as was the case with many Americans during the Cold War, then you just see them as allies in a collective effort, and the freedom to dissent then shrivels up. So you have to see people as, I mean, Buber talks about them seeing them as your brothers or your sisters, but as people unified in a collective, uh, in a shared effort with you, but nonetheless, uh, no one's got it perfectly right. We're all mixtures of good and evil. And in working together, we also have to uh, uh, confront our own uh, inadequacies and our limitations. I think so, that's a better way of approaching political difference than than just fear. You know, you're a divinity student. I want to raise this question because one of my observations is a critique of modern-day Calvinism, that it breeds this kind of separation and this kind of mistrust. Because whether it's Calvinism or the prosperity gospel, it strikes me that for too many Christians, there's the sense of tribalism is we're in the right. We belong to God. Uh, God is on our side because he's prospering us, and that's how we know. And we have the Spirit. And if you're not of us, you don't count. You know, you're going to burn. You're going to fry. And, uh, you know, you're of, of the dark side. You're the devil. And that it breeds that the theology is feeding into the polarization. I'm not sure how conscious it is, but I'm very concerned about that. Do you think that there's any merit there? I do. I mean, and I think this is a problem as old as the Hebrew Bible. Um, you know, on the one hand, you've got uh, what I take to be the really uh, inspiring aspects of Judaism Christianity, which is that when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis, I will bless other nations through you. So there is a creation of an us, a special chosen people, but those chosen people are not good ones and everyone else is the bad ones. The chosen people are meant to bless 
all of the other people that they come in contact with. And I think you hear similar echoes in the message of Jesus, that yes, you are set apart, and yes, you are different, but you have a mission to carry out love um, for all of the people that you come across. And I think religion has that separation of an us that can just be wrapped up in a tribal identity that then becomes exclusive rather than other-focused. And so we, we see that all through time, and it, it's certainly happening in America today. Any thoughts on, you know, we've got about one more minute on how we can foster uh, a sense of fraternity and rebuild from a polarized society? That's the million-dollar question. I think Buber has uh, something of an answer in what he calls uh, confirmation, um, which is we shouldn't just sort of naively assume that other people are good, um, nor should we uh, act on the assumption that other people are bad. We should recognize that, like us, they are people that are trying and sometimes failing uh, to do the best they can, given the resources they have. And when we see other people as in process, um, as works in progress, then we can work alongside them to foster the best, what we take to be the best insights that they have and the truest concerns that they have um, and help them work against the fears and the suspicions that are keeping them from true happiness and true collaboration with, with one another. Well, that is something to think about. Our guest today, Russell Johnson, do look on the web for Martin Buber's Hope in Polarized Times. This is something that really is critical for the survival of American democracy, folks. We've got to overcome these divisions. Russell, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you, Alan. And as we close, remember folks here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk, we help folks suffering religious discrimination, especially in the workplace. So check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.